This is Queer Histories, Queer Futures, presented by Last Call, a podcast about queer resistance in New Orleans and the people behind the movement. I'm Free For All. And I'm Lane Kaplan-Levinson. Civil rights freedom songs. I am. Are you? Do you have a favorite? I have multiple favorites, but I will say that something that always first comes to mind for me is "Follow the Drinking Gourd." Follow the drinking gourd. Follow the drinking gourd. It's one of my absolute favorite uh, freedom songs. I sang it as a kid going to this what is uh, often dubbed as a commie camp. Uh, And um, we sang a bunch of civil rights freedom songs, but Follow the Drinking Gourd always just went like straight through me. Um, And it's what comes to mind when when anyone brings up that entire repertoire for me. But why do you ask? Is there is there a song you love or something you've been thinking about? Yeah, I've been thinking about this one that's called Freedom is a Constant Struggle. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, I like that. Freedom is a constant struggle. Yeah, I, I've been thinking about it because um, the oral history that I've been listening to from Mandisa Moore O'Neill um, really points to that idea several times, so many times in that interview. Freedom is a constant struggle. Been struggling so long. I must be Mandisa is a black feminist who supports grassroots black women and black femme-centered organizing. And um, the story that we're going to hear today takes us all the way back to the summer of 2006 when she had just turned 21. And she was working at the Women's Health and Justice Initiative, uh, which was an Insight affiliate. Um, And she was part of a group that opened the New Orleans Women's Health Clinic. This story is, it's like full of heartbreak. Mm. (laughs) Um, And it comes from an interview she did with Indy Mitchell and Natalie Nia Falk. Um, And you'll also hear from her spouse, Wendy Moore O'Neill, who you might remember from our last episode. Right, right. Okay, great. Well, should we should we get to it? Let's get to it. My name is Mindisa Moore O'Neill. I was born with the name Shani Mandy some more. I go by my middle name. I have most of my life. I associate Shawnee with people who, who know me through the government, either through school or a bill collector or something. Um, I was actually born in Mobile, Alabama. And when I was five years old, my family moved back to New Orleans. So when people say, are you from New Orleans? I say, yeah, but I'm very clear to say I'm not born here. And so if people say, are you born and raised? I'll be like, nope, because I ain't a liar. So I'm also cis. Like, I feel like we often, like, expect trans folks to be like, I'm trans. So pause, I'm a a black cis woman. 
but um, I was at a at a baby shower. Uh, no, at uh, a baby's birthday, and like most, I guess, southern people, it was really an adult kickback. Um, <laughs> and so, like, you know, we're sitting in the back, drinking, kids playing, eating chicken, and a sister was talking about her job and. Um, how it's really rough and I was saying like you know what would it look like to leave I'm not saying it's easy I'm not saying it's something that you know it it could happen next week but how would it look if that was like a six month or year goal you know and then from there went the conversation about freedom and liberation. And she was like, I just can't be like you, you know, because you're free. I said, yeah, I am free. You know why? Because I decided it. I decided I was going to be free. And she was just like, well, I can't do that. I said, yes, the fuck you can. Nothing around me affirms that I get to be free. Except for me deciding that shit. We free. I decided it. That's what it means. You know what I mean? Like, but like it's a constant decision because like most things like you have like it you know, if we fight or we struggle, one fight is not gonna win a war. So it's a constant practice of being like of like doing things that moving like move in the direction of freedom like it involved movement like literally like moving from one place to another you know or it involves this like framework that things needed to move so like things have to shift but saying confident means that like it's not something like that you know we have luxury of doing monday and it's like done but it's a constant practice it doesn't like that we always like and like I don't think it always feels good I think sometimes being free is quite painful and um feels really bad and it's really sad sometimes it makes me cry What were some of the things that were happening, like <clears throat> organizing wise? Like I know oh, you said you worked oh, with um... so much. So at first, when Insight started, it um, it was women of color against violence. And over the years, like okay, like how do we deal with this word woman? Like how do we deal with like state violence against like trans folks and GNC folks of color? How do we deal with that? Um, and it actually at that time, like middle of '09. It was a conversation like there um, had been a gender justice working group like tasked with like how to do this in a way that, that isn't just adding trans people onto the board, but like but in ways that's actually like living up this politic that we have and how people know us and that really 
build on the statement that Insight had done with critical resistance around like the PIC and gender-based violence. So it like actually like takes that as this thing. So Insight had the conference before Katrina, the first conference in the South, the first conference held in a community center as opposed to a college campus. So I met folks then, but folks were organizing the conference. They weren't like, and so afterwards I ended up not staying in school and I ended up coming back home. I just, I wanted to be home. And so initially I was volunteering with this group called No Heat, which was New Orleans housing emergency action team that was like trying to address like the housing shit that was happening, like closing public housing, like almost instantly like rent skyrocketed within like days of like the flood. So like housing was this big thing. I learned quickly that no heat was run by like white communists. Then from there, I learned of this group called People's Hurricane Relief Fund, which I learned was like a much bigger group than how I learned of them. And so I was like, oh, okay, PHRF is more black people, okay. And that's where I saw Shayna and Maiba again. Maiba and Shayna quickly pulled me into the clinic stuff. Uh, basically, um, Insight opened up a women's health clinic after the storm, which was awesome. Um, and woman was defined very broadly and in a way that was inclusive um, or as, cl- as inclusive as we thought we were. And it was like an organizing space. So like doing like health stuff, it was odd because like, you know, we weren't doctors or health providers, but like all of us knew what it was like to have a bad experience with the doctor. So I used that to help influence what a clinic, so it was like, like the colors were. Our clinic, it was uh, a soft yellow and it had incense and it had it, like it had a TV that played like radical documentaries. It had magazines like Bitch and Bus, you know, <laughs> not some bullshit like People. It doesn't look like you. Um, we had a sign on the that said, "No human is illegal" in Spanish and English. Oh, oh my God! All of these posters were were in the clinic. Um, and we had bottles of water for people and folks could like, come and use a computer and we had like bags of condoms and, and female condoms and lube, um, anal and non-anal I guess. Um, and I was a community health worker. We had this whole thing where like you have an intake, but what about the outtakes? Like somebody who talks to you after your visit about like the condoms and like all these things, that'd be me. And like we would do all these things and like after the clinic was closed, like we would have like, it was a space to have meetings and like team workshops and like team conversations. It was by like five high schools. We would often like keep hours open for the students, you know. It was, um, the biggest lesson is we can't compensate for the state. Okay. That was the biggest lesson. Slash, <clears throat> how long does the clinic last? It's the best thing I've ever done. Opening that clinic. Mm-hmm. It was in operation for about two and a half years. It was so beautiful. 
Where was it in the city? It was on Esplanade and Villery. Mm. It was next to, at the time, was on Esplanade Pharmacy. Um, and it was right next to, um, to Lil Dizzy's. Mm-hmm. Why, are you, why are you crying? Because it's sad that it closed and it had to. Why did it have to close? Well, like I was saying, um, well, the biggest lesson is... You know, it was contingent on, like, on the state doing its part, you know? Like, charity hadn't been reopened, and a clinic can't compensate, like, for a major public health institution mm. not being open and some bullshit about why it's not. Charity was like a Region 1 trauma center. It didn't just serve New Orleans and serve like people in the region. And so like to have that kind of place close and not have anything in its place, it devastated the whole region. And so seeing that so many people access primary health care through charity because of how like the healthcare system was, now like you have people with actually more healthcare needs like because of the storm and the way that displacement um, exacerbates physical and mental health care, you have less people actually, but people with a greater medical need and you don't have anything of its size to accommodate. That means that it puts a strain on the next tier. So Charity was the biggest hospital in the region. Next is urgent care clinics. They can't function if this big thing is not in its place. Why? Because you would have too many... No one can absorb that. Wait, I I, I believe that. I'm just trying to understand how to connect the dots. It's because it meant that you all had a patient load that was heavier than what your staff time could accommodate. And more need to in those patients, too. Exactly. Both and. Like, it was a lot of clinics like that. It was a lower knife for a clinic. Um, Excel tried to do whatever they tried to do. The Common Ground Health Clinic on the West Bank. Um, and, and Common Ground is the only one like that's still in operation. It's changed so much. Like, from... It's mission like at one point, like it had like an apothecary and then um, it's just a very different space than it is now. And and then ours had a different politic than all of the clinics. It was an intentional decision like not to ever receive state funding. Mm-hmm. So actually like our clinic was run um, by some foundation but mostly private donors. Um, and then like we did take insurance so in, in some ways it was able to sustain itself but at, at the end like the cost like of, of what it costs to run like it, we wanted to pay our employees Shayna was our Direct. clinical director and she was never paid unfortunately um, but the medical staff was like our nurse practitioner our medical director was paid at part time or at quarter time um, our, our nurse and our LPN and our office manager like, were all paid. Um, but at the clinical director, you know, she never was. 
whenever I've heard people talk about the clinic closing, it's either been big theory or interpersonal mess. Like I heard in New York about how people thought that the director of the clinic had made some anti-trans statements that the, the clinic was transphobic and so people refused to lend their continued financial support. Like I think there's more to the story than Well you the knew that wasn't true gossips. because you were you were around when the clinic closed. I I I am talking about before. I didn't really know. So I also think it's helpful for you to say kind of what the controversy was and and add information. Is this what I do to you when you're talking? I don't know. This trying to go. What was the clinic transphobic? Exactly. Right. <laughs> That's point, what I want to know. So, at this point, was you know, since situation? you brought it, I mean, so I'll tell you how I would answer the question now. Yes, because what institution is not transphobic? That's true. Um, so our clinic had actually stopped seeing clients. Um, we hadn't updated the website. Um, in some months because like we had hoped that it would be a temporary thing um, and the clinic was still doing like was still a community space but it wasn't like seeing clients um, and the clinic at the time had a trans affirmative link and if you clicked on it it, it would share like all of the services but when you clicked on any service, it would take you to a page that said our clinic is, is no longer like at this time is not seeing any clients. So um, it was a white trans woman who either had just moved in town or hadn't quite moved and was coming in town and so was like wanting to like see the services that were available as she moved, which I think is really great. And so had heard about the clinic and so emailed and went on the page and so saw, you know, what it said and so emailed us. So we finally respond to the emails. It took hours to respond, I'll say that. And we were like, we're really sorry. Right now, we're not seeing patients right now. These are the services that our clinic does offer right now. And she's like, oh, thank you. And then like we are getting these emails and like it's been forwarded about this blog and we were like oh did you just make a blog about that us because no. <laughs> we just responded to your email and so in the time it took us to respond she had made like a blog post saying Says, and when I click on it, it um, 
know, isn't offering to trans women, like to trans people. And I just thought it was another example of how people say and don't do. And like in the nature of internets and how things move, it had taken on its mind to like folks that have their own experiences with insight are rightly bringing in. See, this is an example why I don't fuck with insight, da 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 da. Then there are folks who don't know anything, but all they know a white, as a trans woman had a Christian clinic. Shit happens all the time. It's real, it's a thing we need to talk about, it's valid. And this is another example. Fuck this clinic. Then we see this other stuff It's on the inside list. People are like, oh, the, the clinic in New Orleans. Then it's the CR list, it's like everywhere. If it was Facebook was more popular then it would have been on Facebook and IG and all of that. Um, it probably would have been a meme. True. And so then like we email her again and we're like, did you just Where out? <laughs> write a blog about us? And she was like, Yes. And so at this point, you know, we were like We understand. We are going to update the website. We acknowledge how it looks like we're saying only trans affirmative services are not being offered. Our email just clarified why that's an important issue. Thank you for bringing it to our attention. <laughs> and how is this process okay? Hmm. Emailing somebody, not getting a response, and then doing this other thing. Oh, how about the fact that we had an auto reply that said it's going to take us about one day to respond to your email? In a few hours, she had to that. Get into how we had an auto reply. <laughs> you know, that Shayna is, is um, OCD and did <laughs> shit like that. Diligent. Okay, just like girl, was this ever actually an answer that you wanted? And then her response was very white, very. So we were just like, Lord. You missed the point, home. It was the nail in the coffin. Um, you know, it was just so hard to bounce back from that. And and the part that's hard is we were all cis. And it's not that we can't hold a critique. And it's not like this is something that we have been in battles with our medical director of. But those were very, very private battles. Mm-hmm. Intentionally, tell. yes. Of like pushing her to be like, you already do this medically. Because What's changing was, is the body who you're doing it with. Because, and your attitude is what needs to change. Because like, she was a black woman and they didn't want to put another black woman professional who, yeah, they disagreed with her. And she was not on, they had to push her, but they're not going to do that to someone who had to do all of that to get through medical school to impact their professional. I mean, it's OBGYN. It's still like so many white dudes in OBGYN. You see what I'm saying? Come on, bro. But, but at the same time, I still maintain that 
that's not why the clinic closed because it had closed before. But um, you know what I mean? Like gotcha. it did really impact our ability to like think past. Okay, like is this a temporary thing? How can we make this work? Because it was just like fuck. We were still trying to justify why we existed in movement spaces because folks just couldn't make the connection to like you know what does women's health have to do with housing or what's going to do with education or or violence and for us like we constantly like we're having to like just help like why like the women's health clinic and the women's health just initiative is showing up so hard in the fight for public housing or the fight for affordable housing just to find the you know spaces. yeah so like and then like in like the money stuff just trying to figure out like how to sustain like not getting state funding it's like, all, like all of this was happening at the same time and it was just like we just done and like you know we were just like you know we'll focus on the organizing stuff and then i went to law school my went to school shayna had a bit you know it's so like what energy we had is now, you know, kind of like a slow down even further. That that makes a lot of sense actually. So, um, wow. Is there... It just was so like at times like I I'll say like half joking but serious like sometimes I wonder if it ever actually existed. In that in like was it a real felt? thing? The clinic. <laughs> Was yeah, it like it, real? It, it, it was real. It was real. And it felt, it felt, well, I'm only speaking from what, when my things that I've been relating to and that, I'm sure it was real. And I'm sure. There are pictures. There are <laughs> pictures. It was, uh, uh, yeah. It was dope. Like, I'm thinking Bell Hooks. My favorite book by her is not Ain't I a Woman. It's actually Wounds of Passion. A writing life where she talks about her process of writing her first book and how it just supposed like with this like um, abusive partnership she was in and she says fully feminist fully self-actualized I decided to care for my soul and let my heart speak. The root word of the word passion is patior, pain. And that's when it dawned on me, this is her. In order to feel deeply, we cannot avoid pain. And like, I read that and closed the book. Like, this is disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like what the fuck is she saying that like you have to like be feel bad or feel pain in order to like and like I closed it and then I opened it back up and like finished reading and I was like oh I think I get what she's saying like how do we think that somehow if we want to have this like highly complex and emotional life that somehow pain won't be won't be something like, like that we like feel as a part of that and so how do we think that if we want to be free it's not going to require moving through things that are ugly we 
We want to give a special shout out to Shayna Griffin and Maya Beliebenthal, who are the other two lead organizers responsible for the New Orleans Women's Health Clinic. Today, Mandisa is a civil rights attorney with a focus on family law, HIV decriminalization, criminal defense, employment discrimination, and police accountability work. She also serves on the advisory board for Lyft Louisiana, and her primary organizing work is with the New Orleans chapter of the Black Youth Project. For more on the Black Youth Project, visit byp100.org. Special thanks as well to Wendy Moore O'Neill and her brother Weibo for singing with me at the top of the program, and to their dad, the legend John O'Neill. Rest in power. This episode was produced by Free For All. Me! With music by Free as well. This project was created in partnership with the New Orleans LGBT Center and Alternate Roots through an Alternate Roots Partners in Action grant and through a network of ensemble theaters Net 10 Exchange grant. Additional funding from the New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Foundation. Last Call is fiscally sponsored by the National Performance Network. Uh, love you, Free. I love you, Lane. And you know, dear listener, we love you too. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening. We only have one message to leave you with. Until next time, stay stay gay. gay.